Hey, before we get started today, we have a question for you. Well, a couple questions. Do you want to be able to improve your physical therapy skills working with patients with a cancer diagnosis? Do you want to be able to help those patients living with cancer at a higher level? Do you want to play an active role in changing the rules that govern the care for your patients? If the answer to any of those is yes, imagine how great it would feel to be able to confidently and successfully treat your patients living with cancer. Help them achieve the results that help their lives the most. Now, if you were given a plan that was easy to follow, shown how to execute each step, and given the confidence to put that plan into action, would you do it? If you want to see the change, you have to know what it looks like, you have to know how to make it happen, and you have to work for it. However you're comfortable learning, we have a program that will make you more prepared and confident to improve your patient care in oncology physical therapy. It is a virtual oncology physical therapy summit. It's going on live April 17th. We've got a list of the leading speakers in oncology physical therapy. But this virtual oncology physical therapy summit can help you unless you take the first step and make the investment of your time. And today's your chance. Come be a part of changing your care for patients living with cancer on April 17th. The link is available at ptpintcast.com. And yeah, right now, early bird pricing, we've got that. The link for the Virtual Oncology Physical Therapy Summit on April 17th is at ptpinecast.com. Go there, ptpinecast.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. Like craft beer for your ears. This is the PT Pinecast. Back again to the show. This is PT Pinecast. Uh, before we get going, I want to say thanks to our friends at CBDRX for you, your CBD store online at cbdrxforyou.com. Uh, CBD becoming uh, legal, becoming used, sleep, health, wellness, stress reduction. If your patients are using it, you want to be the most educated and confident clinician you can be in terms of how is that going to affect their, their course of treatment. So check out information now at cbdrx4u.com. And we're also going to give away some pint glasses cur- courtesy of CBDRX for you. You can get signed up to win one of those online right now at ptpinecast.com. With, uh, without further ado... Let's start tonight's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as we start tonight's episode, welcome to PT Pinecast. I'm your host, physical therapist, Drew McKay, the show. Uh, Try to save physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories, and important topics. i got to throw that into the intro as well, in the world of physical therapy. So uh, this sh- this show is a reprise of something we did uh, about 30 days ago. So I, in the, uh, the, the intro of the show, we really called it uh, a 30-day reevaluation. If we had a conversation about something important, and we all agreed it was important, and we sh- should do something more than talk about it, we need to have a time to reconvene to then look back and say what has happened since then and that's what we're trying to look at uh here today taking a look back um as a uh, as a reminder and this was shared uh via statnews.com i thought they, they did a great job re-racking the uh, the issue and uh, i'll share this link of where i got this in the show notes the author is usually mcfarling this first episode was spurred by a tweet and a podcast from the Journal of the American Medical Association. And in it, a host, a white editor and physician, questioned whether racism even existed in medicine. 
it's now surfacing complaints and social media backlash, a backlash that JAMA and other elite medical journals have routinely excluded, minimized, and mishandled issues of race. A recent example, and we're going to hear a lot of those from our guest tonight, included research blaming higher death rates from COVID-19 and African-Americans on a single gene in their nasal passages. A letter claiming structural racism doesn't play a role in pulse oximeters working less well on patients with dark skin because machines can't exhibit bias. And an article claiming that students of programs designed to increase diversity in medicine won't make good doctors. And these are just recent examples. A quote from that article was, it's the voice of medicine, referring to Journal of American Medical Association. They set the priorities. That quote from Brittany James, an assistant professor of clinical family medicine at the University of Illinois of, uh, College of Medicine and co-founder of the Inst Institute for Anti-Racism in Medicine. She helped start a petition calling for widespread change at JAMA that has attracted nearly 8,000 signatures. Since then, only one person has been asked to leave at the Journal of the American Medical Association. And again, one of their members questioned whether racism could be embedded in society because, quote, it's illegal. I guess if you just make a law about it, it can never happen. So this spurred our podcast, which took place a month ago with our uh, panel discussion, which we will bring back several of our guests. We wanted to change the format a little bit tonight. So let's bring in our first guest. And what we're going to do is we're going to have each of our guests have the stage. So less of me asking questions, less Q&A, and more thoughts and observations from our guests. And then we'll bring them all back together so they can talk about what they each heard, thought, and felt individually. So let's bring our, our first guest back to the show, Chris Barnes. Chris, we appreciate your time and, uh, and energy discussing this, living this, and then talking about it again in our 30-day reevaluation. So thanks so much for coming back, Chris. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm always pleased to see you. So you're batting lead off. So uh, thank you for doing that. This isn't an easy topic to discuss and, and, and we're trying to change it up just a little bit. So what I want to do now is I'm just going to pull myself off the screen and really for the audience to set the stage, I, I just let Chris and the rest of our guests know that what have you seen or felt in the last 30 days? Uh, you know, we, we talked about this issue 30 days ago. What's happened since then? This was a major outcry in our profession, in our community, in our country. Major moment. Since then, what has happened now that the news cycle maybe has caught on to something else? So with that set up, Chris, the stage is yours. Well, well. All right. Thank you for having me. Um, so what has happened in the last 30 days? Uh, well, <clears throat> there's the facts on the ground uh, at JAMA and within the AMA which are really well um, uh, put forth in that stat news article. Um, there have been repercussions for the editor-in-chief at JAMA, uh, who is currently on leave. Um, there has been one person who, uh, who was uh, a host of, the, of that uh, uh, podcast uh, who is no longer uh, in that position uh, as a, an editor at JAMA. Um, so there's been some repercussions there. Um, there was also an awesome thread, and I know we're going to talk about this later, um, uh, by uh, Dr. Brittany James. That was uh, uh, she was part of a group of uh, physicians who went and met with the leadership at AMA and um, had what they called a very substantive discussion. 
uh, and they're going to circle back and, and talk about actions to, to come from that. So that's promising. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, the lay of the land remains the same. There hasn't been any kind of uh, real change as far as uh, uh, lasting, um, uh, anything with lasting implications um, beyond one person having a, a bit of a dent in their career. So um, there's still a lot of room left to, to, to have action. Um, There was a, a bit of a, a, a blow up about an article, uh, editorial or a, a letter to the editor in, in the New England uh, Journal of Medicine uh, that was questioning whether or not systemic racism was a thing that should apply to pulse oximeters. Uh, there's well-established uh, discrepancies in uh, the quality of readings, the effectiveness of pulse oximetry uh, for people with different skin color, uh, uh, or that is to say, pulse oximetry varies depending on skin color, and that's known. So, um, you know, disputing that, this letter disputed that uh, a device could be racist, that it was a volitional act. Uh, and uh, again, willfully obfuscating uh, the meaning of systemic racism and separating out individual actions uh, to segment out, to say, you know, we're, we're all good people here. We're not, we're not bad people and only bad people do racism. So, um, that was uh, status quo, and it was looping in the second uh, two of two of the leading uh, journals in American healthcare. So that was discouraging. Um, so you know, a mixed bag as far as what's going on in the world. Um, what I've been thinking about in the last 30 days is the continuum uh, between that difference between systemic and individual racism. Um, the idea that systemic racism is something that's out there and perhaps immutable uh, and that individual racism is separate and dependent on what's in our hearts and our, our intentions and our, and our good uh, best, wishes, best wishes. So uh, I like that example of the pulse oximeter. Um, something that's, and that, and that pertains to PT and to rehab, um, something that also pertains, and this is close to my heart. Uh, when I first started in PT, I wanted to be in wound care and uh, and there is a similar uh, level of uh, ineffectiveness for assessing wounds and assessing skin uh, that's not white. Uh, everybody is basically taught white skin as the default uh, and aren't really taught signs and symptoms uh, in other uh, people, in, in people of, with other skin colors. So um, that, that rang, that's not just technology, that's also uh, uh, pedagogy, you know, like talking about how we're taught, uh, the, the, the kinds of examples that are brought into class, stuff like that. Uh, and this is among very long tenured uh, clinicians. So that got me to thinking about um, where that systemic racism turns into an individual act of racism. Um, and, you know, kind of pondering on that, um, clearly with the knowledge that a pulse oximeter is not going to return uh, as meaningful of a result from uh, a black person or somebody with dark skin, darker skin color. Um, there needs to be some acknowledgement of that uh, in the uh, approach in the clinic. So uh, clearly with that knowledge, not taking that approach, uh, one has to question why and absent another explanation, the obvious is that that individual act uh, of ignoring of what is known to be a systemic problem is that individual act of racism. 
um, notice there was no mention of you know the 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 intent to harm or anything like that. Um, it's as casual as just applying what is uh, supposedly an equal standard, um, with that knowledge that no, it's not equal, and there is a risk there. Uh, I'm putting somebody at risk. Uh, um, that's the kind of thing that I've been thinking about for the last month is, um, you know, the, the comparison between um, a hypothetical harm with having to address things like how we interpret uh, uh, a pulse oximeter reading and the added, uh, you know, perhaps difficulty in somebody's clinical practice versus the known harm of uh, not assessing people accurately and having uh, you know, poor outcomes and, and, and sequelae in, in, uh, a sequelae in clinic. So um, th that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about is, is where do we trod that line? And, and, and I feel like that's the point to act. Yeah. Uh, the, thank you, Chris, for, the, for opening that up. This is not an easy topic to talk about, and you're going first. Uh, when, when you're talking about uh, what we talk about versus what we do is kind of a, a, a constant theme of, uh, theme of what I heard you speaking about which is we know that persons of color uh, have a lower life expectancy and we'll say, well, and people will try to rationalize, well, th that's, that might be for lots of causes. And when you can use data and research to say, well, we're showing you, and then JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine show great flexibility in immediately sticking their foot in their mouths immediately after this, just when you think they can't top themselves, um, they do. And you say we this is this is what we're saying. This is being said by leading publications. What do you think is being done that we can't see? Yeah. Um, in that stat news article, I, and I love that article so much. It is a tour de force. Uh, it comes with receipts. I urge everybody to read it because there are uh, about 20 different articles or position pieces from various organizations, prior comments on Twitter that are linked out of there. And it is just a truth bomb. It's awesome. Yeah. So, sure. um, oh, I was gonna say, I'll make sure to share that in the comments as well. Great. Um, so, uh, uh, one of the other things that uh, they talk about in that article is that um, <laughs> the, the, in that podcast uh, and in the marketing of the podcast and the communications about it, um, it was like they were talking amongst themselves in that safe space for that uh, editorial privilege, that editorial uh, discretion that yields that systemic racism, which is now the, the focus of, the, of the, the activism within the AMA. It's like they accidentally flipped the, <laughs> flipped the lights on, with, you know, they said, the, they said the quiet thing loud. Right, um, locker room super talk. Loud. Exactly. This, is how, this, is how we, this is locker room talk, you understand. It's like, yeah, and, you're, not to, you're, not supposed, this, you're not supposed to think it, that, but you're showing, you're showing by actions and literally words. And then the, the thing that I've mentioned last time is that that tweet and that podcast stayed up for days. Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and now um, it's interesting because uh, it, it's, it's almost infamous. Like you can't actually go and see it on the JAMA site now. Um, so putting it up was bad. Leaving it up for the length of time to cause the kerfuffle that it did was worse. Pulling it down the way they did with just a very terse and, and brief kind of oh this oops sorry about that was even worse and now le leaving a space for people to kind of say well i didn't see it like oh it must have been really bad um right. is uh, it, 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 it's, it it continues to to blow the mind 
um, in the Stat News article, they mentioned uh, uh, one of the, the researchers is a medical anthropologist, and he was talking about how uh, he works with uh, white students and black students in a, uh, in a, a medical ethics course, and um, that uh, the white students in his class were blown away by the level of activity and the black students were basically nonplussed. Right. So it was, right. even it's, that is uh, definitely a, a, a acculturated uh, response. Um, but yeah, yeah, still, still, you know, I didn't even mention just being like, uh, still stunned, uh, still right. that still that level of disbelief at how bad they are at this. Um, but I know that they're not bad at everything again, like we said right. last time. So, um, so this begs the question, when are, when are we going to, uh, and that's us included now, when are we going to apply the skills, the techniques that we already know work, uh, to things that we say we care about. And that gets back to that point that you were talking about doing and saying, um, and that's our house, that's APTA business. Um, we've got lots of places where there are discrepancies between, uh, what we state to be our mission and our vision and what is actually our, um, our actions and, and the implementation of our policy. So, yeah. um, yeah, we, we shan't be casting stones over here, but still, it, it's still, it's, it's stunning uh, what's happening yeah. at the AMA and it should have fallout. Uh, uh, people are pretty upset. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, thank you for batting lead off. Now you get to chill out. We're going to put you back. To <laughs> we'll bring you back. Uh, let's bring up uh, our next uh, guest returning to the show. Rupal Patel Rupal, uh, you are coming in second here. We're going to give you the stage thoughts, uh, observations, feelings since the last time uh, we had you on the show. This stage is yours. Thank you so much, Jimmy. And again, it's an honor and a pleasure to be back with this uh, esteemed group of colleagues of mine and you. And so I think, you know, last time we talked about, okay, you know, we know this is an issue in terms of racism in medicine, even though, you know, whatever happened with JAMA and whatever they did. So, you know, what do I do as Rupal Patel to kind of address this within my sphere of influence? And so what I did after our last podcast was, I, I'm lucky that I teach in an academic institution and I'm teaching health policy right now. And for me, when we think about any kind of issues, uh, and especially racism and structural racism, the biggest bang you have for your buck is really um, intervening at the population level, you know, at the organization, at the policy level. And so I want to grow advocates. I want to grow people that can see that this is an issue. And so what I did in my health policy class is I had um, kind of a discussion about this in class um, related to population health outcomes and how structural racism impacts those in our society. And then I opened up a discussion board where I had them uh, uh, listen to a short podcast from the New England Journal of Medicine that was published back in March 2020, and it was social spending to improve population health. And um, the question was, does the U.S. spend as wisely as other countries? And so uh, the authors had suggested that our, you know, our outcomes are worse in America, a lot of it because of structural racism and other peer countries, their social spending is much higher than ours. And so could that be a factor? And we have data that shows higher social spending equals to better population health in some of these countries. And so, you know, I told the students one of the um, things that in the healthcare sector, we've been looking at upstream factors, right? So root causes of the social conditions that contribute to those downstream health effects, such as 
the chronic conditions and the diabetes and the heart disease and the poor diet and the inactivity and those kind of things. So um, how investment in those social spending could lead to systemic changes. And I gave them examples of four federal bills that are right now in Congress. And uh, one is the improvement, uh, improving social determinants of health act. Another one's the a Violence Against Women Act, and then the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and then um, the, the hottest um, you know thing right now in terms of debate uh, in Congress is the For the People Act, which is the voting uh, rights and uh, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I told them to pick one of those bills. I gave them links to each one, and I said, read about it. And how do you see this potential social spending bill impacting health outcomes? of our population and you know in, in the context of you know racism and everything else and marginalized groups and outcomes and how can this one of the bills that you read actually impact and address that structural racism um, that we see and do you support whatever you read and if so why or why not and if so did you take action? So I, I have given them tools to contact their um, federal legislatures. And so, you know, if they felt passionate about it and they agreed or disagreed and they could agree or disagree. So I wasn't telling them you have to say, yes, this matters, but, you know, and, and blog about it. And it was just amazing. I, you know, I wish I could share the discussion, but, you know, amongst my 45 or 46 students in that class, um, picking different things and, and diving into it and contacting their members of Congress with their um, opinion. And I think that's that highest level uh, in terms of what all of us as physical therapists can do is look at what are the structural things that are impacting racism in medicine and healthcare and physical therapy, and then how do we lend our voice and let our elected leaders know that these type of bills are important to us as individuals? And then hopefully also as an association, I would love to see APTA get behind you know, more of these bills. I think we have started uh, in terms of our federal advocacy at, at APTA with um, supporting some of these things, but I'll be honest and say, I think we're kind of uh, uh, taking a little bit of a, I wouldn't say easy route, but we also are, as an association, thinking, I think, about not pissing off some people within our association. So maybe not putting in kind of as much of a robust uh, support behind some of these more inflammatory or divisive, uh, you know, bills that are out there that really, if they pass, it can go a long ways in reducing some of the structural racism that we see in medicine and healthcare. And so that was my charge to myself is to take action, to teach my students about some of these things and, uh, and then how they could potentially impact. And um, nearly all of them contacted their uh, federal legislatures in some way or form uh, about one of these issues. So that was heartening to me um, to kind of think about that. And I think the other action I Item. personally, I'm always in the stage of growth. I don't know enough. The more I read, the more I feel like, oh my God, I don't know anything. And why does Jimmy want me to be on this podcast? Because I feel like a little imposter syndrome, you know, but so, you know, this is also National Public Health Week. And so the Boston School of Public Health was doing a, a, a series on anti-racism in medicine and health policy update. And so they were bringing in just 
the cream of the crop in, you know, in talking about this. So I attended two of the three sessions, one on Monday and one yesterday. I missed the one today with the, uh, Senator Elizabeth uh, Warren and that. But, you know, it's just learning more, listening more, and then kind of thinking about, okay, ooh, that was great. What can I take out of that and apply to what I do individually and then maybe, you know, in bigger circles as well. And so, um, you know, one new uh, uh, public... Uh, uh, act that came out that uh, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley from Massachusetts and uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren um, from Massachusetts, as well as Congressman Barbara Lee from California, they reintroduced this, the Anti-Racism in Public Health Act. And so that would create a center on anti-racism in health at the CDC. That would be big if we could establish a center at the CDC, and that would strengthen kind of the federal government's ability to develop anti-racist health policy. And boom, you know, that's like bang here, biggest level of that socio-ecological approach. And that could trickle down to us and then, you know, we can trickle up. So I would, you know, encourage um, everybody listening here and others to check out that act. It was, I think, um, introduced in the 117th Congress um, in February, back in February. I don't have a bill number, but uh, Congressman Presley talked about it yesterday. And I haven't contacted my federal legislatures about that, but I will. So that's where I am. I liked uh, your thoughts, and I jot things down on Post-it notes because I love Post-it notes. Uh, I should have stock in Post-it notes. Um, you went micro macro. Micro is you talking to your class, your students, about making them and asking them, "Do you think this is important? Is this an issue that's important? What do you think? Do you think that something should be done?" And then laying out a clear path. So the micro level was narrative, and the macro was what you just talked about, which is okay. If some of the action that we've decided is important is to contact your legislators, uh, legislators um, what are they doing about it? And they're creating laws. And I know sometimes people think, well, politics just takes too long. But the idea here that I jotted down was, well, if it's baked into the system, you need to unbake it from the system. You start, you need to start creating other systems that do not have it baked in from the beginning. Yeah. Um, this, this changes people, or I should say persons, right, individuals, but also policies and you know, institutes at larger organizations. Yeah. And then that whole conversation, you know, that um, Chris and you were talking about in terms of what's baked in the system in terms of racial bias, right, with our medical algorithms and all that stuff. So we need to unbake that. And so again, you know, one of the conversations yesterday, which was with uh, the, the gentleman who's the director of the National Institute of Minority Health and Disparities was one of the speakers that I listened to. And he talked about where we don't really have a good um, a national definition for some of uh, some of the race um, and ethnicity questions in our surveillance databases in Medicare in all you know insurance companies in state level local level everybody has different categories so and if we build our algorithms based on those of course there's going to be bias based on where the data came from and you can't even really do a true comparison and so he was talking about literally having at the NIH level at that institute level you know some standard definitions that can then be you know from a research perspective be out there but hopefully in practice as well so that 
we can all be talking the same language, you know, to begin with and, and, and hopefully unbake some of that bias, you know, and just being Asian American that I am, I'm South Asian from India. And so like, when you look at research on uh, disparities in Asian health, you don't see many, you know, usually AAPI is kind of grouped together. Um, and yet it's a very diverse diaspora. And so, you know, if you break it down by East Asians and Chinese and Vietnamese and then South Asians from an Indian subcontinent, and then of course, Pacific Islanders are completely different in terms of how they present. And so if you, when you break it down, you do see disparities, but we don't have the data, you know? And so we need to like, in that particular population, disaggregate data so that we can see more of a truer picture. And so those are all, again, big system level things. When we think about dismantling racism, we need to really pay attention to and act on, like, you know, contact our members um, in, in Congress and say, hey, I support this. I don't agree with this. I agree with this. Because unless they hear from us, you know, they're going to do what they think and who they hear from, which may sure. be the opposing, you know, viewpoint. Sure. Rupa Patel. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to put you backstage. We're going to bring it back in just a minute. But thank you for 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 speaking to that and sharing your insight. Uh, coming up next, no stranger to the show, uh, Mark Milligan. Mark Milligan's on here. Comfort is a lie. That's what it says on his hat. Uh, Mark, appreciate yeah. you taking time to talk with us again. Um, I'm going to give you the stage. Uh, the last 30 days we spoke, you shared your ideas. And what have you seen and, and heard and felt since the last time we talked? The stage is yours. Ooh, Jimmy, Jimmy McKay, it's good to see you. Um, it's good to see Chris and Rupal, and we're going to see Stephanie Long in a bit. And, um, thanks for having us on. I really, um, it's been a, a long 30 days. It seems like it's been longer than it, uh, it feels. And uh, there's been a lot of different interactions, thoughts, processes, anger, frustration, um, and connection to all of this, right? So uh, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about both what Chris brought up and what Rupal brought up. Um, and I think it's interesting that the, um, the pulse ox, just the, the amount of unintentional yet in yet intentional racism that there is in healthcare and in tech. Right. And I, you know, I was, when Chris was speaking about the, the article, I think it's really quite um, interesting to think about how tech is built. Right. And typically people think of an idea, they give it to people that can create it, right? And then when they create that, they have to do different iterations and different testing. Um, and so in, in implicit bias, biases can get into that testing process, right? Like pulse oximetry, like no, they didn't test it. They didn't test uh, different patient populations to see how it acted in, uh, in gathering that data. Um, I was teaching a course and, um, and I was teaching a course at a hospital and um, they just installed new water bottle fillers, right? And so um, I was in there teaching the course and I didn't want to hold my bottle. I, I don't know why I did it, but I, I waved my hand under the sensor and it saw my hand and filled up my water bottle, right? But um, there was somebody that ha uh, had a black glove on that came behind me and they put their glove in front of the camera, in front of the icon or the, the sensor to to get the water to pour through and the water wouldn't come on, right? So the actual, the, the, um, the, uh, the photo, I, the, I forget the diode, whatever it's called, actually could not process someone that, was, that had dark pigment 
or or um, or black skin in dispensing water, right? So how do you how do you unbake some of the, the kind of fundamental ways race uh, and, and uh, you know un, implicit bias kind of creeps into technology and how it's created, but also in the space of what we do as healthcare professionals, as physical therapists, really how we're taught, right? If you think about our education back in PT school, um, you know, we didn't really dive into any type of differential diagnosis or looking at erythema or bruising of people with dark skin um, or, or different shades of skin, right? We didn't cover that. How do you, how do you look at and assess for different types of tissue damage, skin damage in people of, of, with different, of different color? And just that that's not a part of PT school, right? Um, and, and as we move out of PT school and we get into treating patients, right? If you think everybody uses some type of exercise catalog, right? For home exercise program, how many, if you go and look in your, in your HEP, um, you know, computer library, how many of those uh, people or videos are people of color or people that are heavy or people that are, you know, that may have a disability or people that have, or that they, like that doesn't exist in, in how we can provide care, right? I mean, most exercise catalogs and libraries are white women doing these exercises, typically in some type of spandex, right? It, 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 there's implicit and explicit. And I think that Chris crosses a line of kind of an explicit bias, right? Like they are, that's, that's racism when it comes to that type of content that doesn't exist out there. And so um, when it comes to also in our training um, outside of, of education in the PT school, how do we how do we educate postgraduates, right? How do we get our continuing education? Is there content that's relevant um, for different people and different people's presentation and their skin color and how to manage in that space? Is there continuing education in the DEI, how to address racism, how to create change within your organization? Does that exist in that? Um, and so just lots of education questions in my head. And then another thing that came to my mind is really when it comes to the individual, the micro level, um, as opposed to the macro, which I love RuPaul, she always goes straight to the government. Like that's good change. And I love you for it, RuPaul. It's totally true. But in my head, how do we create change and what does it mean to you as a provider in your neighborhood? Right. And so have you looked at your neighborhood and your city to understand why zip code matters and where or if there are zip codes or where, not if, but where the zip codes are that people have shorter lifespans, right? Does your, does your city have a history of redlining? Does your city have a history of any other type of racist behaviors towards minorities that would now portray, come forward into today's times, right? Um, I presented at CSM uh, last year with a group that um, that we, I, I look back at Austin's history and Austin, even though it, it's supposedly the most liberal, it's like somebody calls it a, a blueberry in a bowl of tomato soup, right? It's supposedly kind of this little pocket of, of, uh, of liberalism, but it, it's built on strongly racist ties. And there's a, a one point in Austin where a mile can determine 10 years of your lifespan, depending on which end of that mile you live on. Right. And so do people and clinicians understand that about their own cities? And I don't know um, many people that actually dive into that. I don't think people take the time to understand their patient population, the people they treat, the people they see, how you can go into your neighborhoods and make differences or where you can go. 
right? So on a micro level, even though you can call your con congressperson, you can get pissed off. But honestly, when it comes down to the control that we have, right, we have to look at our own space that we're in to make sure that we can do everything for those people, uh, right? And, and ourselves, because the community, like, you know, rising tides, you know, elevates all ships. We have to help our own. And we can't expect the trickle-down effect to, 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 to create massive change on a micro level, even though on a macro level, some words get tossed around and maybe some money gets allocated or maybe, you know, people look good when they sign the paperwork. But on a micro level, on an individual level, we all have the responsibility to create that change where we are, right? We, we have to be the, the, the people that actually look at it, assess it, see how we can change it, make those connections, make those communities, um, and, and, and create the change for, the, for, for those who, who need it, right? So I think that those, those are just a few of the things that I've been talking about and we've been thinking about and connecting on is, is, um, has been really poignant. And, and to Rupal's point, like uh, the intersectionality of minorities within minorities, people aren't, they haven't even begun to discuss what it's like to be a minority within a minority, right? And, and those intersectionalities need to be uh, even more recognized. Um, and, and to be, you know, reading a couple of tweets that are responding to the, to the GEM article and reading, it, it, it's really frustrating because the lack of just the complicity, right? And if you, re, if you understand the, the absolute horrific and abhorrent treatment of people by our healthcare system, by our government, by other governments, it 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 it's really um, it really boils my blood that people aren't angry and upset about this, right. and that it's easy to change. But it you have we have to change, right? We can't expect people. White people have to change, right? I, I jotted down this thought, which was when I was listening, and that's what I'm kind of doing. I'm trying to just absorb the the overall feeling of each of our our speakers tonight, which is what. You were saying, number one, what we're taught, we believe, mm -hmm. right? If, if it's baked into our education, if it's baked into our technology, as you mentioned with your water bottle reference, reference, and then you're saying, well, I mean, can it really be baked in? I don't know. We're talking about what JAMA and the New England Journal of Medicine said this month. Mm -hmm. So what do you think we're not seeing? As well as I think this really goes into, and I don't mean to bring up a different topic to set people off, but this brings in like a almost like a, a gun control uh, debate. Whenever there is a large mass shooting, people say, well, hopes and prayers. I hope something will change. But that's really, that's a, unfortunately that happened over there. We're not racist here. Not I'm not racist. We're not racist. That's a somewhere else problem. I really hope they fix it. They, I've now not taken any ownership in that. I have no part in this, but I am very anti, but where's my, where's my responsibility? Going back to Ripple's example, what am I going to do? What are you going to do? You think this is a problem? Yes. Are you close to it? Okay. Yes. What are you going to do about it? Well, I will. What? Right. I, what you do about it is we only have control over really two things, right? What comes out of our mouth and what we think. Those are the only two things we can control. Nothing else. I mean, we can control what we can put in our mouth to some extent, but even that has, is dependent on, yeah, but for some people, that's not in their control, right? Some people want to eat something, but they can't. Right. right? So, 
Um, so honestly, what, what comes out of our mouth and what our brain thinks are the only two things that we can truly control. And um, what's interesting is that people don't understand that words internal and external have power. And really, everybody can change at that level, right? Everybody can take one step. And if somebody says something that's inappropriate, right, you can say, I don't agree with that, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, it was an interesting thing. I, you know, I, I'm traveling and I, I was, I got a message from somebody uh, that I, that travels, that um, was, drove me to the airport and he made a comment that was really inappropriate. And I was like, huh. Eh, can I just be that guy that lets it roll off? Or I was like, I responded back like, Hey, I'm not okay with that comment. And that's all I said. I didn't berate him. I didn't, I didn't say he was an idiot. I didn't say it was racist or sexist. I was just like, I, I don't, I can't agree with that comment. Right. You know what? He texted right back. He's like, you know, I'm really sorry. That wasn't, that was an inappropriate comment. I shouldn't have said it. And like, it's just a matter of sometimes you have to take the emotional charge out of it in order for it not to be emotional, even though it is. Right. If you can de-escalate de the situation to where it's like, look, healthcare is racist in, in America. Like you can say that without any emotion. You can say that with validity and accuracy. And it's 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 not okay, but it is, it is a fact, right? And so we have to stand behind the facts and the information and the data that's presented, that we have to understand that regardless of how we feel, how we think we feel, how other people may think we feel, or how we think other people feel, like we have a racist and institutionalized racist healthcare system in this country. And the, the sooner we can just say that and like agree on that and let's, let's fix, let's move on. Let's fix it. Let's do something about it. Look into our own backyard as Ripple's chime in and see where the racism is, exists and then take action locally right. to change the structures and system that perpetuate. Uh, Mark Milligan, we're not going to kick you out just yet. Just hang out in the back uh, backstage here as we bring in uh, one of my colleagues at Fox Rehabilitation. Uh, Stephanie Long comes back in. Uh, you get to be kind of our cleanup hitter here, being a fourth of four. Uh, let's make sure we unmute your microphone there. There we go. It is a podcast. Perfect. You're good. good. Uh, Stephanie, same right. same sort of prompt, same idea. Uh, in the last 30 days, some things moving. Uh, what have you been doing, seeing, feeling, experiencing since we last talk? Uh, talk, Stephanie, the floor is yours. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, again, thanks for having me in here and, and everybody on the call. I mean, man, I have learned so much just from being with you guys, and it, it's Every time I think about it, it's it's more thoughts and more passion, and and that's really where I've been in the past thirty days. It's more self reflection. I think this year in general, I've I've really taken a priority in self reflection um, with my family, with my profession, and my career, and and with this entire topic of diversity and and racism. And in the past thirty days, I've I've self reflected more, and I realized my why like why am i so into this right now why is this so important and why does this conversation have to continue and i think it's my own guilt um i've kind of flown under the radar my entire life i never wanted to um be categorized or put into a bucket for fear of racism right i my family had gone through it i'd seen what can happen in this world with it so i decided to fly under the radar. And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to stand out too much. I didn't want to be put in a category in a bucket. And fast forward through my career and the most racism I've seen has been as a healthcare professional. And 
you hear stories about JAMA and you read the articles and, and you have these conversations with colleagues now and it just, it's guilt. It's guilt that I haven't stood up earlier. Uh, it's guilt that I haven't done more about this. And that's why I think this forum that we're at today and having these conversations and the podcast and the, and the responses to JAMA is just, it's a must. Right, and I think a lot of people feel that way. I've had a lot of conversations in the past uh, 30 days with family members and colleagues and friends about, you know, how do they feel about this or what their perspectives were. And every time I walk away from a conversation, I feel like not only has the person's point of view maybe changed and realized that this is a big topic, but my own passion within this area has just continued to grow. And um, you know, looking back into the uh, the Stat News article about the response to JAMA and what, what JAMA had published, in that article, it, it mentioned how a lot of MDs were actually terrified to speak out. Um, and it, it made me step back a little bit and say, okay, well, if perhaps MDs or physicians are afraid to speak out against JAMA and what was written, it's our duty. We have to do something. You know, our profession as physical therapists and PTAs, um, we're autonomous. We are taught to evaluate for ourselves and treat and make our own decisions. And you know what? If the MDs aren't speaking out, it's our duty to stand up for ourselves, for our colleagues, for our patients, because the folks on the other side, the MDs, they might be afraid. Well, we're not afraid. We're here to make a change. And we can make a change when we come together and we communicate and bring these messages of our why, why this is so important for us. Um, and our patients. And I think that's been my takeaway for the past 30 days is this conversation needs to keep going and we need to educate ourselves and learn how to educate others about this important topic and really band together as a community and make a difference. Because if we just let it go, um, nothing will change and it'll be worse for generations to come. And I'm doing this so that my children never have to walk these lines and have to worry about um, what their physicians may think of them or or how they may one day treat a patient. So I think we need to stop this today. Be the change you want to see in that world and being able to do that. Mark mentioned it too, which is um, it might be uncomfortable. It should be. Yeah. I mean, that's happened for a long time. So this is abnormal is saying something. Okay, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it if it is abnormal. It just that's means right. it's going against the norm, but it is important. So, uh, and, you know, Mark, Mark mentioned too, if the majority isn't changing, the minority will keep saying the same thing with, with, with no result. That's the definition uh, right. of them. So I uh, appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us again in this 30-day reevaluation. Uh, let's bring in the, uh, the rest of the panel, bring them all back in here. We've got uh, Mark coming back in. Chris coming back in, Rupal coming back in. Uh, so again, thanks so much. Now, when you guys were listening to each other, because you guys were kind of backstage, this is where like the magic happens, which is, uh, that was a little bit of presentation, but really just reflection. Um, anything you'd want to, to, to comment on and what you heard the colleagues on this panel say? Anything that jumped out? I, I have to jump out real quick. Rupal, what, what you were bringing up about, um, like my mind just pretty much exploded with um, the different acts going on right now, the anti-racism act. I mean, I had no idea. And now all I want to do is, sorry to say, jump off this podcast 
look about read it learn about it and spread the amazing word because um i i didn't know and wow what a a life-changing moment that could possibly be so thank you so much for for educating me on that sure and my thing is going back to mark and you know what you said about looking in your own backyard yes i think i commented in our private chat yes like that is definitely where we need to start educating ourselves seeing those things what are the zip codes what are the areas and you know your slide from that presentation you did about austin and where the pt clinics are on one side of 35 and not on the other and you know all that stuff the redlining so yeah i think we need to do more of that and um and then not just know about it but then do something about it you know so you know what are we going to do in terms of if there is lack of access to pt care or certain things in certain areas. And so, you know, uh, I know most of you know Mike Eisenhart, but you know, he's kind of my mentor when it comes to being action oriented and a doer. And so I'm always kind of thinking about, okay, I know now, now what do I do? You know, and so like the backyard example, Mark, um, like I know here in Houston, the same thing, you know, we have zip codes where it is huge disparities in terms of how long people live, like 15 year disparities between, you know, River Oaks and third and fifth ward in Houston. And what's, you know, in terms of who's in third and fifth ward, black and brown uh, minorities, you know, are in those uh, areas. And so I think, what do we do? And then even among like elderly and other just, uh, uh, you know, other minority groups. And so one of the things I've done this last year is work with our uh, Chinese community center. We have pretty large Chinese community in Houston. And so they work with senior groups and especially with COVID, a lot of things have gone online and a lot of seniors and Asian and Hispanic seniors are suffering. Um, and so one of my students who uh, is a Paul Ambrose scholar, you know, we're going in literally this Saturday to one of the subsidized housing communities that houses primarily Asian and Hispanic elders. And we're using the CDC study um, uh, screen for fall prevention because falls are such a huge issue because people have been inactive and uh, the multi poly uh, pharmacy issue. And so we're going to probably, I think we're going to screen about 60 seniors at that uh, housing, um, you know, place where they don't have a lot of access to care and they haven't been to primary care provider and they're afraid to go because of anti-Asian and hate crimes and uh, uh, transportation and all these other issues, right? So we're going to them and, you know, we're setting up our shop there for the day and providing that for them. So those are the kind of things really, you know, we can all do that. We can, you know, clinicians like uh, you guys, you can partner with academic institution like mine and say, hey, can we get a group together to go into this community and do these kind of things? Um, I know one of the ideas we had was actually Mark's idea of uh, what Mark you did in Austin a couple of years ago was to set up a pop-up clinic with the YMCA, right? Mm -hmm. And you were available for, um, members. And so that idea I had put forth pre-pandemic, you know, with my students to do that in the third or fifth ward and getting local clinicians to do kind of an annual PT checkup and then referring them to resources. But because of COVID, we didn't get to do that. But I'm going to come back to that idea of yours and probably look at doing that next year. So thank you for always kind of bringing it down to that local level and what we can do actionable things. Um, and you're a good example of that. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, I, that's where, to me, rubber meets the road, right? Like we can talk, um, we can talk a lot. And Steph, I, I hear you and see you, and that's a, that's a huge um, thing for you to say uh, tonight. So, like, definitely, 
see you and validate you for that, uh, you know, full circle of uh, self-awareness. That's powerful. Um, because until you're, for me, until you're comfortable saying something, like it's, you, you don't say anything, right? And so it's like, I mean, that's it, but that's a massive, massive, uh, you know, self-awareness and growth. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Rupal, and I appreciate it, Rupal. It's, again, you just got to do something. It's like, shit, why aren't people doing something? I, I don't, I mean, I've been part of the APTA, TPTA, all these A's, <laughs> all these associations. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of like hypotheses and great discussion and debate and right tent and it's just like okay let's all go home okay are we, bye. Waiting, are we waiting for more information or permission i, I and think just realize that you don't actually need permission well so the thing with organizations they get so damn big you need permission for everything right right like the organizations schools you know all all organizations the the inherent structure that is their organization prevents you from being agile and mobile and actually doing something right right like there is bare, there are there's great strength in large orgs, but there's also tremendous barriers for change. Yeah, agreed. Chris, as you're hearing your colleagues talk about this, what what was some uh, thoughts that came to your mind? Um, well, <laughs> uh, so two things uh, stuck with me a lot. One was talking about intersection, and then um, one was uh, a lot of urgency in the room. You know, people saying, uh, "When are we going to actually do something?" Um, so. For the first thing, um, intersection, uh, <clears throat> it's a, a fancy word, and, and I'm, I'm going to venture to say that a lot of people listening or watching don't know what intersectionality means, um, uh, and people think a lot of different things. Um, the, <laughs> the way I approach it is that it is uh, really the only valid way to describe humanity, in that uh, there are several ways that we uh identify ourselves that we define our existence and the combination of those is what makes our humanity our you can our uniqueness right that spark that we bring each of us um so that is what we're describing when we talk about intersectionality um at the same time we know that this is a construction from you know a million tiny pieces adding up into a mosaic but then we're all human so when you take the sum of all those intersectional elements it always turns out that we're all human. So there, that, that shared element is there too. So how do we, how do we, how do we mesh those? Um, for me, th again, thinking about the last 30 months or 30 months, huh? <laughs> bang, there it is. Uh, thinking about the last 30 days. Uh, um, the biggest uh, issue, the biggest event that has occurred in, um, that's important to me as a, a black person, right? And, uh, and to my identity is uh, yesterday or maybe the day before the last few days, the Arkansas legislature passing uh, a bill that allows people to deny healthcare to trans kids. Um, as a clinician, that is aberrant, right? That is beyond the pale, that is unacceptable on the face of it, right? On observation, wrong, next, right? Um, why does that affect me along my identities? Uh, I'm not trans, I'm not a youth. <laughs> I wish I was, some people would say so, but no, that's not true anymore. But um, I'm a health provider, right? So that, that, that cuts uh, with one of my identities, but 
um, it hurts black people. <laughs> there are a lot of black trans people. If my identity is identifying with black people and wanting to make the world better for black people, then this is my fight. Um, that's intersectionality, okay? Uh, as best as I as I understand it, and please, if somebody come in and jump in and, and tell me I'm wrong or right, but um, but that's that that so that that human level is where we start to operate, and that's key. If we don't do that, then we're all lost. Um, the other thing, so when we're making that pivot to action, and I think that's warranted at this time because we know that there's a systemic racism that is going to make us hurt people, right? As clinicians, if we don't do something overtly with explicit intent to get different results, we are playing along with what is already there and we know that path um, and those outcomes. So having had that knowledge, um, <laughs> my question is why don't we default to doing what we know will address these issues? If it costs money, we have money. If it takes time, we got time. If it's uh, hard, lots of things are hard and we do them. Um, defaulting to doing what is necessary to fix the problem and then taking the consequences downstream, whatever those are. That would be a mature, an adult way to solve this issue. Um, you know, if <laughs> I talk about a lot of analogies, if, if you got a big hole in your roof um, you aren't going out and pricing different people and taking like weeks to figure out who is the right roofer. You're calling them until you get somebody who can come in that day and you're going to accept it. It's going to cost a ton of money, a ton, but that's what, that's what you got to do, right? If you're, if your toilet is overflowing, you got to get it fixed. Um, this is a pressing issue. And why are, my question is uh, a challenge is why are we not defaulting to doing the things to fix the problem. So in education, why aren't we defaulting to making schools with black and brown kids look the same as suburban schools with white kids? Um, you know, when we're talking about DPT education, why aren't we defaulting to insisting upon having that diversity of presentations in the DPT education? And we accept what happens. Well, it makes it more expensive. Well, it makes it more expensive. Well, it makes it more exclusive. Some programs can't, can't cut it. Well, some programs can't cut it, okay? These are the consequences that we take as a mature field and as adults in the room, right? Um, so that's the kind of the two things that I think of. Uh, so thank you all for that uh, yeah. uh, uh, thought process there. Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm, Chris, I mean, I, you, you're very eloquent in, in mm -hmm. everything you say and very thoughtful in the depth of, of what you're creating and communicating is, is uh, it's, it comes through very strongly. And, um, I, and the Arkansas, I mean, you're bringing that up is like, it's gutting, right? Um, and it made me think of that, of the Brittany James thread that we brought up earlier about the JAMA. And the fourth tweet in that thread was a quote from Martin Luther King that said, of all the forms of inequality, injustice and in health is the most shocking and most in inhumane because it often results in physical death, mm -hmm. right? And I, I don't think we can't not think about that, right? Like, it's not like we're keeping somebody out of a job. It's not like we're, it's, it's not like we're keeping somebody from doing something they love. It's not about like help, not pe helping people, their grandkids, like people are effing dying because of this. And like, that's, it's not okay. It's not right. And it's, and when we, when, when we consider the outcomes 
of not of 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 racism in healthcare, it's it's you're not playing with people's ability to get back to tennis. You're playing with their ability to to live. And I, I don't I, I don't think people often think in that context. Yeah. Well, if it doesn't affect you, why would you? You could if you could ignore it, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right? People people pay, take the passive least resistance. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and just just so uh, it's mentioned, uh, there have been discussions at APTA. The the tweet thread that's uh, mentioned that we mentioned before, which is Doctor uh, Britton James. Want to make sure we get Doctor. She's an MD. Yep. Uh, she was who we mentioned the top of the show, uh, professor at uh, university in uh, in Illinois uh, from Cornell and Michigan, and uh, that we'll, we'll share that tweet thread in the uh, the show notes as well. But discussions were had, but Doctor James that her tweet thread led with an account of how that went or how that felt. Um, they did, she did close by saying they will do something as we, we do into that, which is reevaluate and reconvene in 30 days. So they're not, they're, they're leaving it and saying, we will go away for 30 days, but we're going to, when we come back, we will ask you, what have you done in the last 30 days? Where, where are we, where are we going um, to keep that discussion going? So I appreciate you guys coming on here to talk about this is there a task right if you've been on zoom meetings in the last 30 days a lot of times it's what are next steps uh that's what i want to leave with uh, our parting shot tonight what would each of you leave as a next step something actionable for the audience to do rupal you mentioned a bunch that you uh, listed for your students but let's go around the horn in the order we brought you on the show we'll lead off with chris in terms of next steps what's something you'd suggest or ask or i'll just i'll leave it open-ended like that uh, well, <clears throat> thanks again um, for everybody for this conversation. Uh, it's always nice to see you all. Um, next steps. Um, <laughs> well, there's there's a, uh, a a kind of more altruistic uh, next step, uh, which is uh, on kind of that awareness level, which is saying, okay, um, if <laughs> if you care, then do something anything, a small action, the shade of a toothpick beats the hot blazing sun, right? So, so do something, um, put some of yourself in the game. If you don't put something of yourself in, if you don't do something, ask yourself why. And if that's honestly, you just don't care. Well, then you just don't care. Not everybody cares about everything, but that means downstream when it, you are positioning yourself as a clinician and as a person in our society, you got to own that too, right? That's your point of view. And that's that's your reality right so um you know be honest that's it like so that's that's that first ask is 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 a is more of a uh, a soft kind of awareness be honest with yourself and just decide whether you care um so that's the altruistic side the more mercenary side is if you care and you're fired up hit me up i'm on twitter at c barnes pt perfect excellent <laughs> uh chris thank you for that uh self-reflection introspection sounds simple it's not especially with the things that you're looking at, you, you might not be proud of. Uh, and that's, uh, that takes effort. Uh, Rupal, next step. What would you like to leave people with as your parting shot? So I think if you're an academician and listening to this, I think, you know, um, educating yourself, becoming more self-aware, as uh, my lovely colleagues have already talked about. And then if you're ready to do more than that, then again, educating our students and uh, giving them kind of information and letting them kind of explore some of this on their own 
is I think important. And I think as individuals, you know, partnering with communities of color, uh, communities where there's a lot of health disparities and racism that has impacted health outcomes to kind of change something there is important. And it's a big lift and it's not something you can do alone uh, as one person, one practitioner, but you can get with like-minded people um, in uh, different um, sectors and practice. And as I mentioned, in academics and put together something that you can go in and uh, work with community partner organizations to impact that change locally, as you know, Mark so eloquently put it. And you know, I think one of the quotes that I like, and I don't even know who it's from, but it's like, I'd rather regret something I did than regret not doing something. And I think that so many times we're so afraid to make a mistake, to take the wrong step, to you know turn the wrong corner, and we don't want to do that. So that fear is one of our biggest barriers, and fear, especially in this space, because it's such a divisive space right now, that we don't want to do the wrong thing. So let's just kind of sit on it. Let's talk about it more. Let's chew on it more. Let's you know, and then that just. For me, because I'm more in that action stage in this work, drives me nuts, you know. Yeah. But I also appreciate that not everybody is where I am, and I need to step back and not be the, you know, bull in the china shop kind of thing um, when it comes to some of this, because to bring people along, um, you know, wherever their journey is. So, yeah, my thoughts. I mean, I, I, a great perspective moment there is, uh, you know, if you're crossing the street and uh, a car honks at you and you freeze and you don't move, inaction is an action. You've chosen not to move. So not doing anything, you, you have chosen not to do anything. It's not, you're not playing it safe. Well, I guess I will go left or right. Standing still is an action. Uh, Mark, next steps. What would you have people do, think? It's a solid question. Solid question. I, again, uh, appreciate being here with everybody. Um, I'm going to have a few asks. One, time to do some self-reflection. Right. That's your that's your first thing. And do some self-reflection in the light of uh, of your bias and your own, you know, family of origin, past racism, all of those things. Right. Like and think about how it applies not only to just life. Right. And like you can have permission to be racist here. Right. It, it, this, it, it doesn't mean that you will continue to be. But know that everybody has different thoughts and feelings and they're there. So we have to normalize that. But I want uh, people, I'm asking people to kind of look into themselves um, and when and think about things like how it applies to clinical care, right? I think, I don't know if I've used this example here, but two patients come in, you know that that patient that, that you love to see on Monday, oh man, I can't wait till Jim comes in, that guy's fun, talks about sports, great. And you know the patient, oh, Frank's coming in, that guy's an ass. Oh, I can't, I, I don't want to see him. They're going to get two different types of treatment, Yeah. right? Two different types of engagement, two different types of therapeutic alliance, two different types of everything. And think about that when it applies to not just people's attitudes, but their skin color or the shape of their feet or, you know, how they smell, because all of those things impact your clinical care. So think about that. Second thing, look into your community, do some, do some searches on, on, how your community and how your city was built, like Google redlining in your city or, um, or some type of, uh, you know, what are some other good topics, Chris, Rupal, I, Steph, like what are other perfect topics to search 
about a city to understand current evolution. I know redlining is by by far the one that I go to the most. Um, any it's other most upstream like that literally has impacted so much in society, but you know, in terms of food deserts and, you know, environmental stuff, it all kind of started with redlining. So okay. I think that's a huge thing that, you know, you've been talking about, Mark. What about Chris, anything like, I know you can Google zip code and age um, and age discrepancy, right? You can see those, all that data has been published. So looking, looking at your locale, like understanding where you live and who you're treating and what, who's not being treated in your community. Right. And then like Chris said, if, you, if you're lit up and fired up, do something, awesome. right? Do something about it like you know like rupal said I, I started a nonprofit with the ymca where you just treat people for free it's okay to treat people for free they deserve it but some people will want to pay for it it's a it but that's you know you just got to do something and um there's lots of people that are doing powerful things uh you just have to it, it's also good to connect and go stronger together you know mark mulligan to steph long our closer uh steph what would you have uh people do with next steps action yeah, I think um, advocate, right? Like we, we can't just have opinions and thoughts. You have to do something with them. Um, I think you need to get a voice and get involved with APTA. Um, I think on your, the state level as well, because you can, there's so much about diversity on the state level. A lot of times there are specific committees or SIGs completely um, dedicated to these topics. It's a great start. Uh, get information, get involved, network, see people who are interested and passionate about the same things that you are and make a difference. Um, you might have to start from scratch. You might have to start a committee. You might have to just start a conversation on social media, but start somewhere, advocate and make a difference. Love it. Uh, ladies, gentlemen, appreciate you taking some time to talk about this again. Um, want to thank the audience who was watching or listening live as well as the audience who's watching or listening on a replay i would love to hear from you guys whether it's you know publicly on twitter facebook youtube or as chris mentioned you know the the direct message or the email feel free to do that we'd love to, i mean you love to see and hear when people are doing stuff it kind of makes you feel like you're not doing it alone or even if you're doing something in a different place or you're doing something different you can see and hear that needle get moved. So uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say thanks one more time, guys. Thank you, thank Jim. Thank you, Jimmy. Great <laughs> Love the PT Pinecast? Yes. Yes. Support the show by telling a friend or by leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play. All right, show today brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. Brooks IHL offering continuing education courses in numerous specialty areas, six PT residency programs, an OMPT fellowship, as well as challenging but rewarding internships. The IHL specializes in the translation of information from evidence to patient management. Learn what they can do for you to support your professional development development at brooksihl.org our home on the internet ptpinecast.com created by build pt build pt provides marketing services specifically for private practice pts from website development and hosting providing content marketing solutions for pt clinics across the country see what build pt can do for you today at buildpt.com the PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It's poured fresh by me, physical therapist, Jimmy McKay.
Ingredients are sourced by our chief connections officer, Sky Donovan from Marymount University. And it's brewed fresh by producer and physical therapist, Juliet Dassinger. And by producer and creator, second year PT student, Bridget Nolan from Sacred Heart University. PT Pintcast is a podcast that saves physical therapists from missing out on amazing insight, remarkable ideas, and motivational stories. Make sure to follow us online at PT Pintcast and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I absolutely love you. I love you, love you, love you. It's it's awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. And if you found value in the show, all we ask is that you tell a friend. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.